glasses. The adults are in here with me. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13. Your lesson today is found in Romans, the 13th chapter. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this chapter. <clears throat> you would think looking at it that it's one of those chapters you kind of just pass over quickly because it deals with our relationship to the government, etc. <laughs> but it is one of the most awesome chapters, I think, in the book of Romans. I am so excited to teach it to you this morning. By the grace of God, we'll be able to do that. And I pray it helps you today. Especially in this hour, I, I really believe that we need some understanding along these lines. Because primarily people are, are always trying to buck the system. They're always trying to buck the system of government or job or church, whatever Always trying to buck, buck the system. And for Christians, sometimes we feel like because we're in the kingdom of God and those people in government positions are unbelievers, that we do not have to submit to that. But that is totally in error because God decreed it and set it up. He set the government up. So in this chapter, we're going to find out the will of God in serving the times. Serving the times, which means how do I as a Christian relate to the times in which I live, primarily the government that I am under, if I'm a Christian, because they're unbelievers, according to the word of God, I have to willingly submit to even unbelievers in their leadership today. Okay, powerful truth. So Romans 13 verse 1 it says this, let every soul, and of course he's writing to the church in Rome, is that correct? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is, say with me, no power but of God. No power but of God. Now I know this may be hard for you to believe and understand, but even in a communistic, atheistic society... God still requires the Christians to submit to the authority that is there. Okay? As long as it doesn't con go contradictory to His Word. Wow. No power. He set the government up. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. See, some of you are going to get your eyes open this morning. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, or condemnation, or judgment. That doesn't mean you'll go to hell, but it does mean you'll receive judgment. You'll, you'll pay a price. For rulers are not a terror. Now listen, who is he writing this to? He is writing... <laughs> Christians who are in a paganistic, idolatrous society. He is not writing to a people who are in a so-called Christian government. This is a pagan, persecuting, merciless, anti-Christ government that he's writing to. Uh, writing the Christians in that type of setting. Okay? So, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Wilt thou then be not afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. He is a servant of God. He's a helper of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister or the servant of God. He may not realize it, but he is. And I'm, it doesn't mean that he's a believer. <laughs> it doesn't even mean he's saved. It means he is a servant of God. Of God. A revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Read with me verse 5. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also. Then he moves into taxes. Which all of us enjoy paying. But for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. God's servants in the area of taxes. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Verse 8, let's all read together. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 9, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 10, let's read together. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 11, and that knowing the time... That now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Read together, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Together, verse 14. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word today. We ask God that you would help us, inspire us, give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the will of God concerning our relationship to government, citizenship. If you're a Christian, you should be the best citizen that there is. Okay? He is writing the church in the Roman Empire, and as I said, it was merciless. It was a dictatorship. It was a pagan society. It was an antichrist society for the most part. And that is what he's telling Christians to, to submit to. Do you understand that? It is very important for us to get, get a hold of this. Very important. How we're to handle ourselves. We need to be good citizens. Brother Dice used to tell us this. If you are a good citizen, then you'll be a good church member. If you're not a good uh, citizen, they'll not be a good church member. Okay? Praise the Lord. When you talk about the Roman Empire, 
You think about all those Christians that were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Which means that in the areas of, of the things of God, in the word of the Lord, if the government required them to break those, that law or that word of God, then they refused to. But how did they refuse to do it? How did they refuse to submit? Because once a year, let me give you an example. Once a year, in the Roman government, it was a law that you had to bring in a pinch of incense and offer it to Caesar and have to declare him Lord. And they would literally give you a certificate if you had done that. If you had offered that incense to Caesar and called him Lord, you would receive your certificate for the year as having fulfilled that law. Now, for the Christians, they could not do that. They could not call Caesar Lord. So they refused to offer this incense to Caesar and call him Lord because Jesus is Lord. And so many of them were put to death because of that. All right? But as long as the government did not require them to violate the word of the Lord, then they were told by God to obey that government. They were not to rebel against that government. In fact, an early church writer by the name of Tertullian, third century writer named Tertullian, he said this about those that were executed in Rome. He said the reason why they were executed was not because that they were uh, deflammatory in their behavior. You understand? Against the government. He said the reason why the majority of people in the church were persecuted was because of their what the government and the world looked at as their anti-social tendencies. Okay? Those people in that early church in Rome were so focused on God and so focused on His kingdom that they were looked at as anti-social. They were so set apart from the world and the ways of the world. So set apart and so dedicated to the kingdom and so focused on God that they were looked at as antisocial by the world and because of that they were persecuted. Wasn't because they were always causing problems for the Roman government, always trying to overthrow the Roman government. Do you understand? And had bad behavior and bad citizenship. It was because of their commitment to God and their isolationism and their, what the government said, antisocial tendencies. Now, I wonder if that could be said of us today as a church, that we are so separated to God and so focused on His kingdom that the world would look at us and say, man, they're so, they're so antisocial. Can that charge be placed on us? <laughs> Ask the question. Well, today, primarily, the world has become churchy and the church has become worldly. So that you really can't tell the difference between a Christian and somebody in the world. All right? Now, I, I'm not telling you to be antisocial. I'm telling you to be, a, by the word of God, to be a good citizen. But you should be so dedicated and so focused on the kingdom of God that, that somebody should be able to tell that you're different. 
Not just by your appearance, but by your actions and your lifestyle. All right? Now, now did you catch what I said? They didn't just put them in prison. They executed them. They martyred them for their antisocial tendencies. Wow. You talk about being salt in your world. You talk about being light in your world, being so focused on God that you're put to death because of your separation. And they called it antisocial tendencies. Now, that's what they called it. It wasn't that at all. They're just dedicated to God. They're focused on the kingdom of God. And they're not caught up in the, the things of the world. Okay? <clears throat> now, so having said that, again, it wasn't their bad behavior as citizens that caused them to be executed. It was because of their dedication to God that caused them to be persecuted. Okay? Now, let's go over here to Matthew 10. And let's see what Jesus says about persecution in Matthew chapter 10 in relationship to the government. What if the government, let me back up, everything that the government tells us to do, if it doesn't violate the word of the Lord, doesn't violate your conscience as a Christian, you are to obey that. Okay? But if it goes contrary to the word of the Lord, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5 tells us that. We ought to obey God rather than men. So, we are not free to be good citizens alone. We are obligated to be good citizens. Are you here with me? Obligated to be good citizens. Only if it goes contrary to our faith are we free to not do it. And if it goes contrary to our faith, then we have to be willing to pay the price, the consequence, which means if they put us in jail, okay. I cannot, and this church cannot, allow homosexual, homosexuals, unconverted homosexuals in this church as members. Come on, I cannot put them in leadership. I will not marry them. But if our government at some point, and it's in that direction, says, okay, it's a law now that you have to, as a church, recognize homosexuals in your church. I'm talking about unconverted. And you have to allow them into your membership, and you have to allow them into your leadership, and you have to be willing to marry them, okay? Then I, as a pastor, and we as a church, would have to say no to the government, and we would have to pay the price, whether it's jail time or whatever. Because we're just not letting that in. It doesn't matter what. Now, we pray that these people come in and get converted. We all have things we need to be delivered from. Okay? But that's just one illustration. Now, let's just say at some point that the church comes under persecution in America. All right? By the government. The law. Well, how do we respond to this? We obey the government and the laws of the land. Until they violate what? The conscience or the word of God. Now, not just the conscience, but the word of God. Because some, uh, some people have a conscience that they shouldn't pay taxes. <laughs> so let me clarify that. <laughs> Are you here today? If that happens and we come under persecution, let me explain to you that we still don't have a right to have a rebellious attitude. Okay? 
if, let me just put it this way, if there's something uh, in the government or on, in your workplace, let's say, let's just bring it down to another level here, at your workplace, that they want you to observe certain things and do certain things, and you know that it violates the word of the Lord. How do you handle that? Well, you don't rebel against or undermine the, your boss. Okay? You, for you to do that is to go against an authority that God has placed in this world. All right? So what do you do? You go, you go to that boss with a humble spirit. A humble spirit. He's still in authority. Or that official, government official. You go to them with a humble spirit. You look at Daniel, look at the way Daniel uh, uh, approached even a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar when they were told to eat the meat off the king's table and it was not kosher, it wasn't lawful for them to eat that. You know the way Daniel handled that with the government officials of his day? He basically said, you know, if I can get your permission, I'm telling you the truth, read it. I'd like to get your permission here uh, not to eat this. Can you provide pulse for uh, me and my friends? And after 10 days, then could you check us out and, and see how we look in appearance? And, and so the leadership, the government official said yes to that. And 10 days later, they checked Daniel and his friends out. And their countenance was fairer than all the rest of those who ate from the king's table. But my point is this. Daniel knew he could not eat the meat from the king's table, but the way he handled it, he handled it with respect to that government official. He, he, he approached it in such a way that he didn't rebel against the authority. Do you understand? He, he just said, well, thus saith the Lord. I'm not going to do that because God, you know, and just come across with this attitude and this spirit of rebellion, you know. No, he was very wise. In his dealings with government officials, even a pagan king, he would say, King, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, live long, you know. <laughs> Do you understand? And look at the way, even whenever there was a decree that was made about prayer, that you could not pray or petition any God for 30 days. All right? And if you do, you'll be cast into a den of lions. You look at the way that Daniel responded to the government in his day. He responded to them with res utmost respect and honor. Do you understand? And he recognized, okay, I, I can't not pray. I will continue to pray. And you're going to throw me into a den of lions. All right? But you never see a spirit of rebellion in Daniel. You never see that in him. Even though he's in the word of God. He's, he's got God back in him. He's, he's doing what he should be doing. But the way he responds to those officials, even in Babylon, is a lesson for us to understand. And sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, because we're believers, we think, you know, well, they're just no good lost unbelievers anyway, you know. So I can treat them and rebel against them and get in their face and tell them off and all that stuff. You do that, then what you're doing, you are literally doing that to God. Because he put that person, your boss, that government official, that policeman, etc. in that position. He is a minister of God. He is a servant of God. So even if he's lost and an unbeliever, God still looks at him as a servant. God looks at your boss as a servant. 
So I'm telling you, we live in a society where everybody's trying to buck the system. They're trying to buck uh, local government. They're trying to buck the government of the U.S. They're trying to buck uh, the bosses on the job. They're trying to buck the authority in the church. And they all, and, and Christians are the worst in some of this because they feel like they've got a right to do that because we know the truth and these are just unsaved, lost people anyway. Do you see what we're saying here? So you look at Daniel, look at the way Daniel responded, even to a pagan king. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Do you understand what we're saying? In Daniel chapter 3, they were commanded to bow down to this image that the government set up in the plain of Dura. How did they respond to the government? They said, we are not careful to answer you, O king, concerning this matter. We cannot, we will not bow down to this idol. And the king says, okay, you're going in to the burning fiery furnace. Well, they didn't get rebellious, get an attitude. Come on. They said, we're not careful to answer you concerning this matter. They said, we, you know, we're not real sure if God would deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still, we can't bow. Amen. So they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them in a burning fiery furnace, and God delivered them. Do you hear? But the attitude and the spirit that they had towards those officials, even in the face of death and persecution, knowing they were right about this, still their spirit was one of submission. Because they recognized that they, even that authority in Babylon was an authority designated and set up by God. The Roman Empire, who Paul is writing to, the Christians in Rome here, again, the paganism, it was there. But he's saying, you obey the government. It's authority that's set up by God. Does this help you? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If we're not careful as Christians, we feel like that we could buck the system. We could, we could rebel against the authority. Rebel against the government. Rebel against the, the boss of the job. Rebel against the church authority. And we think because we're right. I'm showing you, friend, it is very, very dangerous to walk in that kind of concept. So, Going back to my original point in Matthew chapter 10. If you come under persecution, if I come under persecution, how am I to respond to those government officials? I will respond to them in humility. I will respond to them in honor. Do you understand? You, have, you need to respond to them. Even if you're going to be persecuted for your faith, you still have to respect their position, their authority, they're, they're, they're placed. Do you understand what I'm trying to help you with here? All right? If we come under persecution because of what we believe, it doesn't give me a right to rebel against those officials. All right? Now, what, let's go to Matthew 10. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 10. Woo, hello somebody. I told you this is going to be good. <laughs> and it's going to help us all. Why do I have to submit to that old ungodly boss anyway? That old ungodly, you know, local official? The government, U.S.? Why? We're going to find out. That's the part of being a good citizen. And that's the will of God. Now, if God says this about his, the, the, the unbelieving government of his day, and he says this, come on, and this, this flows down into your job... How does God feel about church government? Let me just share this with you. God always stands on the side of right. 
So that even if you're a believer and they're not, if they are right and you're wrong, guess whose side God is on? God is going to stand on the side of an unbelieving boss or stand on the side of an unbelieving policeman, stand on the side of a, of a government official if they're right because God always stands on the side of right. Woo. You know what? There's government even in my house. There's headship in the man. My wife submits to that headship. But guess what? If she's right and I'm wrong, guess where God stands? Just because I have the headship doesn't mean he's going to stand on my side. If my wife is right, God will stand on her side. He always stands on the side of right. If my children are right and the parents are wrong, God is going to stand on the side of, the, of that child. Doesn't mean he overthrows the said order of the house. But he always stands, my point is, he always stands on the side of what is right. It doesn't matter if it's an unbeliever or a saved person. Woo, boy, we having fun, aren't we? Now, I know I've talked real fast already, but, but anyway, I hope you can, you can follow what I'm trying to tell you. All right, go to verse 18 in Matthew 10. In the case, as in the days of Rome, persecution broke out on that early church, if it happens in the United States of America. Let's see what the Lord says in Matthew 10, verse 18. You shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to rebel against them, but you're going to testify in honor and to the glory of God. Okay? But when, you, when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, the father, the child, the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You shall be hated of all men for what? My name's sake. Not because you're a rebel rouser. Not because you're out there trying to usurp the government. Trying, come on. For his name's sake. But he that endureth or perseveres to the end, the same shall be saved. Watch verse 23. What do we do then if persecution arises? Well, we don't rebel against the government. We don't get an attitude full of pride and all of that stuff. We walk in a position, just as Daniel and his friends did in Daniel, of submission and respect to that government. Do you understand? But there's no value in persecution. Do you understand? There is no spiritual value in persecution. Now, there are some people who will willingly lay down their lives so they'll have a better resurrection. Hebrews 11 says that, okay? But that doesn't mean that I'm just supposed to just let them lead me as a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> Do you understand? I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to be courteous. I'm, I'm going to honor them. But at the same time, watch what he says. Jesus says this in verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the seas of Israel till the Son of Man come. So if they do put us under persecution, that doesn't mean I just say, okay, just take me out and cut my head off. I'm going to look, we'll look for a way to flee to the next city. If I hear the government's fixing to knock down my door and come and take my family, you know, put me in prison, you think I'm just going to hang around and wait for them? There's no value in sitting around waiting for somebody to persecute you. you then you have a martyr's complex. 
You know, a lot of people, the church, they had this martyrs complex. Everybody's out to get them. The boss, the, the government officials, you know, the church, everybody's out to get them, you know. They've got a martyrs complex. Jesus said, if you come into a time of persecution, he says, you have a right to flee to the next city. And if they try to persecute you there, flee to the next city. They try to persecute you there, flee to the next city. But you're still going to have to have a right spirit and a right attitude and of respect and honor for that government official. Not for them, but for you. It's not for their, them, but it's for you. Does this help you? So persecution for the name of Jesus, uh, could, it did take place in the Roman Empire. It could take place in the United States of America. It tells us how to handle these things. Let's go to Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. Going, alluding back to the days of Daniel, and I don't have time to read all these things to you out of Daniel, so read, read the stories yourself. You'll see the spirit that these men had. Jeremiah, hallelujah, Jesus. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. I haven't got to the, even started reading Romans yet and teaching that, but I'm giving you some background here. 29, verse 7. God raised up uh, Babylon... He used Babylon to take his own people into captivity because of their sin. Jeremiah the prophet stood up and told Israel, willingly surrender to the captivity. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't rebel against it. It is of the Lord. Surrender to the captivity. Go into their land. That's what the prophet told them. Can you imagine what the church must have thought of the prophet Jeremiah? Man, he must be a traitor. For him to tell us to surrender the, to Babylon when Babylon comes and takes us captive. But it was God. He says, you, if you willingly submit, everything's going to be okay. But if you rebel, say so you're rebelling against God. Not just Babylon, you're rebelling against God's discipline. 29.7. Jeremiah 29.7. Seek the peace of the city. Whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. Seek ye the peace of the city whereof I have caused you. I, God says, I have done this. I have caused you to be carried away captives. God did it. Watch what he tells them. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Even in Babylon, as anti-God as Babylon was, when God raised up Babylon to take his people captive because of their sin, he said, when you go into that city, he said, you pray for that city's well-being. Because in the, in the, the peace of that city also, uh, let me get it the way it's worded here, thereof shall ye have peace. Did you catch that? Powerful stuff. So it doesn't matter what government you're in, whether it be Babylon, whether it be Rome, whether it be China, whether it be America. You have, you have a responsibility as a good citizen to recognize that authority and properly respond to that authority. The only time you ever, uh, and, and you, you go against what that authority says or that law that's placed in the land is if it goes contrary to the word of the Lord. And then if you're persecuted, all right, 
then you have to still respect that authority, but you have a right to flee from city, one city to the other city. But whatever place you find yourself in, you're not supposed to be out there raising up, uh, you know, um, rebellion against the government. We have freedom of speech. We, we can vote. We have freedom of speech. We can hold signs, you know, against the laws of abortion and, and all of that. And that's right and that is proper. But if you get arrested, you don't fight them. You don't fight the policeman. You don't get in his face and tell him off. If you're arrested for that, do you hear what I'm saying? There's a proper process. If you're out in the abortion clinics and you're protesting, that is right. That's good. You're protesting something that is, that is against the word of the Lord. But you still got to have a right attitude and spirit towards the government that is there. I know, I know, I know. Well, we right because we're Christians, you know. And they're wrong. That's true in some sense. But the problem is, is how, what's the spirit? How you approach that? You know, police drives up. You're up there with your sign. And he's going to take you to jail because you're protesting. You don't tell him off. You don't look at him and say, hey, stupid. Don't you know they're killing kids? Hey, you know what? You're going to be accomplice to this. You do that. I won't. Yeah, you know, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, are you funny? You know, you just say, oh, hello, Mr. Officer. Uh, you know, he starts talking to you. You don't get in his face, tell him off. You say, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We recognize that. Okay, that's right. That's right. Maybe we cross the line here. Do you understand? Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going along with the sin of our society. We need to be a voice. We need to be light in the midst of darkness. We need to be salt. Amen. And we need, need to protest. Uh, we need to. But we've got to have a right spirit. Oh, yeah. This is good. I, I, know you, I know you're liking this. I can tell. can tell. Tell. So we need to pray for the peace of the United States of America. And, and is God judging it at times? You better believe He is. Wow. But watch your attitude. Okay, let's go back to Romans 13 then. <clears throat> he gives you seven, seven reasons for submitting to the government or the authority that is in the land. Seven reasons. Number one, let every soul be subject unto the power, power, higher power. This is authority. For there is no power or authority but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So number one, the, these, this authority is decreed from God. Right? Decreed from God. No power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So he set it up, right? Okay, let, let me just run through these for the sake of time. That way I don't have to, to go over every verse. But let me go through these. Number one, divine decree. This is chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Seven reasons why we have to submit to authority. It's because divine decree, to rebel against it, is to rebel against an institution of God. It is an institution of God. With me? Number three. Punished, you'll be punished if you don't. Number four, that government is set up to restrain evil. 
Number five, it promotes good. Number six, rulers are empowered by God to punish. And number seven, conscience sake. All right? So let's look at him. He goes through these in Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no authority or power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So he decreed it. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. So to rebel against that authority is to rebel against an institution that God has set up. Right? They that resist shall receive to themselves punishment, damnation. This is not hell. This is judgment from the, from the government. You with me here? So there's going to be punishment. Number th- verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. So they are set up to what? Restrain evil and to enforce good. So if you're, you know, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. If you're a law-abiding citizen, you're not worried about the policeman. You're not worried about the government. It's only when you're driving down a 30-mile zone and you're driving 50 miles an hour when you see this policeman pull out, you go, you're afraid. Why? Because you're driving 50 and a 30. You understand? Or if you're going down the road and all of a sudden you get these lights behind you, your heart starts beating fast. You start getting afraid. Terror grips, grips you. What have I done? Did I, let me look my, check my speed limit. Oh, I'm five over there, ten over there, you know. Oh, maybe I didn't signal. Maybe my tags are out or my inspection stickers out. You see, so all of a sudden, you get the fear of the government. <laughs> you understand? But as long as you got everything in place, you got your, you got your insurance like you're supposed to have, you got your, your license up to date, you got your inspection is right, you know, and you're driving the right speed limit and you're, you're you know, making sure you get all the lights, uh, or, you, you know, all the, the legal things about driving, you've got them all down. So when that policeman comes out, you're not worried about anything. Because you're, you're doing what you should be doing. But if you break any of that, then God says, be afraid. <laughs> you're going to pay a price. If you let your inspection run out, you let your tags run out, you don't have any insurance and you have a wreck, you got a problem on your hands. You should be afraid. You shouldn't try to wiggle out of it. Hallelujah. And some of us are just paranoid, period. We can have everything right and we see lights. Oh, we get terror grips us, you know. Yeah, you understand what he's saying here. <clears throat> so, so anyway, uh, he's telling us here, for rulers are not a terror to good works. Normally, the, the government or uh, the law system that is around you normally is going to be set up to deter evil, restrain evil, and is set in place for your good, to help you. So you don't have to worry as long as you stay on the right side of the law, the right side of authority. You don't have to worry about it because primarily their focus as a minister of God is to do you good and not harm. Believe that? Thank God we've got them. Can you imagine 
the insanity of this world? It's already insane. So then he goes on and he gives us some more. He says, wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Yeah, you need to be afraid of the authority. You buck the system, you rebel, you break all the laws. Come on, you need to be afraid. All right? Be afraid of the power of the authority. Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. Why are they always on my case? They just looking for me. I know they looking for me. I'm a marked car. I'm a marked man, you know. I've already told you there's no guilty people in prison. Nobody in prison is guilty. They're all innocent. Every one of them plead their innocence. <laughs> They're guilty, but they plead their innocence. You know what I'm saying? So everybody got to, oh, they just have to get me thing, you know. He said, if you do what's right, you'll have praise of the same. You do something wrong, get ready. You're going to have to pay the price. Pretty common sense, isn't it? Then, then why don't we live by it? You with me? Oh, you know, let me just bring down to the church. The pastor, he's always out to get me all the time. You think so? You think I'm just out to get you? I'm like a policeman with a badge? Just looking for you? No, thank God. If you do what's right, you have to worry about me, man. I will be praising God for you. I'll be, you know, I'll be praising, you know, your good, good things that you do. But you get, you get contrary to the word of God, then you got a problem. It's not with me. Not with the word, amen. I mean, but with the word of God. All right, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We know you're right. You're innocent. I've been pastoring a little while, you know. I know how innocent all of us are. So he says, uh, thou shalt have praise of the same. Verse 4, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. Do you, do you see your government officials as ministers of God to you for good? Do you see the city officials that way? Do you see the police force that way? Do you see the government that way? Hey, you better thank God for America. Yeah, we're ungodly in certain places and they're not believers in certain places, but you better thank God for the government you're under. But if a minister of God, not even saved, can be a minister of God. To thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. He's got a right to carry that pistol. He's got a right to use that pistol. Now the insanity of our modern, modern day is this, suicide by cop. We got some people that are so, you know, messed up that they will push the cop into killing them because they want to die. And then they want to blame the cop, you know, for their death. But hallelujah. Now, come on. Sometimes the cops aren't always right. Sometimes they cross the line. 
And so then they have to be accountable to the officials that are set in place then because they're not always right. But we've got some people who commit suicide by cop. Evidently, that must have touched a nerve with somebody. That's okay. I have no problem with that. So he goes on and he tells us here. Watch this. I just said that, ma'am. I just said that. I just said that. You didn't listen to me. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wherefore, you must need be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So you not, you not only need to submit to the authority that is there because you're worried about the punishment they're going to bring. You need to also submit to the authority because of your conscience. As a Christian, you've got to have a clear conscience. You with me here today? Praise God. So the scripture tells us these are the reasons why we must submit to the government. Now, hello, somebody. Very, I'm going to just be honest with you. Very rarely do the cops pull stuff that they shouldn't pull. Very rarely. And if something happens, it's not just their fault always. Now, that's what the word of the Lord says. And if they are wrong, then they'll be dealt with. How many of you know that, that know a, a, a local government or even the government of this U.S. that will let cops off the hook when they cross the line? No, a rogue cop, they don't let them off the hook just because they're a cop. So they're going to make them pay a price. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to tell you something right now. See, God ordains every service. And He ordains, he, listen, He ordains every person that will be here. Because they need to hear this. Now watch this. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is good. Watch this. I want a clear conscience, not just because I'm trying, you know, you know, just not get a ticket. You know, man, anyway, help me today, Jesus. So, do you understand this? That that policeman or that government official does not bear the sword in vain. God gave him that sword. He gave him a right to carry that pistol. He gave him a right to use that pistol. But again, he has to abide by the laws of the land too. Okay? Thank you, Jesus. So we're dealing with authority here. And the reason why we need to sub submit ourselves to that government, local government, national government law, is because of the authority. It came from God. He instituted it. They deterred good. Watch this. They deterred evil. They tried to establish good. Amen? And we, got, we went through this, so I'm not going to try to go through these again. But the point is... You look at the way God sees government and the way he sees authority. Whether it be an unbelieving kingdom of the beast. The way we're supposed to respond to that. The way we're supposed to live as, as citizens in that government. You will see that God, again, he always stands on what's right. And if you don't think that, that this is most important to God, you just look in the days 
of the theocracy of God in Israel. Moses was the law giver. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a spiritual leader. Moses was a law giver. And when there was rebellion against the law giver, God, man, some of them, the ground opened up and they fell into the earth. Because they were rebelling against an institution and authority that God set up, not just spiritual, but the lawgiver Moses, and they were killed. So God is very serious about this. Very serious about this. Okay, let's go on down then and let's see the next section here. Verse 5, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Am I clear? Have I been clear enough for you? Do you feel like that I've done okay this morning in this area? Good, 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 good. So, number one, authority. Now, do you hear? Do you hear? Who's he writing to? The church in a Roman pagan society. Look at what he told them to do in, in Babylon, Jeremiah 29 and 7. Look at the way Daniel and his friends responded to the government in their day. They weren't, you know... Just bad behavior and rebel rousers and trying to just certain overthrow and all that. We get in trouble for that. You understand? So we shouldn't be like that either. Protest, yes. Fall under the law, yes. That's all right. But watch how you respond to authority. Verse 6. Now, the next section he deals with taxes. We all enjoy paying taxes. Don't we? We love it. <clears throat> so how does God look at taxes? Well, I can tell you one thing. Jesus, out of the mouth of a fish, got the money to pay tax. Temple tax. He was the Lord of the temple. <laughs> and the temple was made for him, but he still paid tax to the government. He said, go, you know, go get a fish. I mean, you know, he went over there. Peter got a fish. Called Peter's fish to this very day. There was a coin found in that fish. He paid his tax. And he said, render unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's and render unto God the things that be God's. That's, so Jesus even abided by that. Come on, he's God in the whole thing. He, he's the one that set the authority up. He's not going to buck the system. Render unto Caesar a cruel pagan despot the things that be Caesar's and unto God the things that be God's. Now it's okay for you to take your legal deductions. Legal deductions. <laughs> it's okay. Do you hear me? It's legal. So take your legal and also ethical deductions. Don't be trying to beat the system you know, try to beat the, the tax, beat the IRS, beat. You do that, you're trying, you're beating God. You're coming against His authority. You are, you're not just, friend, it's not just a freedom to pay tax. You're not just free to pay tax. According to the Word of God, you are obligated to pay tax in the eyes of God. You have an obligation to pay tax. Wow. So I'm going to take every legal deduction I can. I'm, you know, mama didn't raise no idiot. <laughs> I'm going to take every legal, every legal deduction I can. And as a pastor, I got legal deductions that blow your mind. 
Yeah, see, the government, you know, the government respects the, the ministry, and they let you take all kinds of legal deductions. You'd be surprised what I can take off. Hallelujah. And I, I utilize that. That's all legal. But I still got to be ethical. Wow. Watch this. Not just the income tax. There was a time when I was uh, in landscaping business. That's a glorified term for mowing lawns. And uh, <laughs> at the same time I was pastoring, well, I didn't, I didn't charge the people tax when I mowed the lawns. And I found out by the, you know, the local officials that I was supposed to uh, uh, collect tax from those people that I mowed lawns for. And so we calculated up the year, you know, and I hadn't collected the tax on that. And so guess what? I had to come up with, my, come up with it out of my own pocket. And my accountant was uh, sort of bewildered at the fact that I would do that. Why would you? I could, I'm telling you the truth. Well, you didn't know. You know, you didn't collect it, did you? I said, no, I didn't collect it. You didn't know, did you? No. But I still felt in my conscience I had a responsibility. So I, I footed $900 out of my own pocket. Do you understand? For conscience sake. You know. So the Bible tells us here, let's look at this. For this cause, the authority that's set, number one, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. I know it's hard for you to believe that the IRS is God's ministers. <laughs> oh, Lord, I know I can tell, boy. You're, you're killing me with your looks this morning. But they are set up by God for that very purpose, to collect tax. And tribute, the word tribute literally means, listen to me, it means income tax. Were you here? Income tax. Say income tax. And property tax. Tribute is property tax and income tax. You are obligated to pay your property tax. You are obligated to pay your income tax. Take all the legal deductions you can, all the ethical deductions you can. But other than that, you are obligated to pay them. Tribute. And then he goes on and he says, and custom. Custom to whom custom is due. That would be any kind of poll taxes. That's tolls and polls or, or any tax on uh, goods. So when you go to the store and you got to pay a tax on the goods that you purchase, that's a custom. Taxes on goods. Taxes on, on tolls. You with me here today? So basically he's just telling you, Pay your taxes. Income tax, property tax, tax on goods. You are obligated to pay them. I am obligated. Be a good citizen. Be wise, be smart with your income. But at the same time, pay your taxes. I'm going to give you some scriptures here. I brought my little tab up here. And I'm going to give you some scriptures, okay? And I'm not going to read them all because I don't have time. But you write them down. If you're a good citizen and a good student, you'll write these down. Do you remember in the days of Joseph? Joseph was raised up by Pharaoh to be number two man in the government. Where are you going, brother? Oh, you're getting a pen. All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
In Genesis 41 earlier, there was a famine in the land. Of course, God raised up Joseph and he was allowed, not just allowed, but set up by God to bring in seven years in that, that seven years of plenty to stockpile. Are you with me? And for the, so for the, the time of famine, the seven years of famine, they would be ready. So he was an official, a government official, Joseph, who accumulated and gathered from the people, stockpile for seven years for the time of famine. But later on, in uh, Genesis 47, verse 26, turn there with me, please. Later on, this is beyond that time. You know, some of you will say, well, what is a, a proper income tax? What is the, is the amount? Well, it's whatever amount the government sets up for you. Depending on whatever tax bracket you fall in. You know, I got some people in here very wealthy. They may pay 50% of their, their money in income tax. Well, you must make some money. No, I don't know that. I don't know anybody in here like that. I'm just, I better clarify that. <laughs> Genesis uh, 47, 26. Let me give you some examples, biblical examples of tax. 47, 26. It says, and Joseph made, a, made it a law. Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. The priests were not taxed that. But the rest of the people, including Israel, as long as they were in that land of Egypt, they brought a fifth part to pay a tax to Pharaoh. You know what a fifth part is? 20% of their income went to Pharaoh. So as long as Israel was in the land, Israel, Joseph, prime minister, Joseph's the one that set the law up. So they have to pay 20% of their income to Pharaoh. As long as they're in Egypt. And so we know this was ordained of God because Joseph was a man of God. Now, thanks be to God, we don't, we don't, most of us have to pay 20% because we've got legal deductions we can go with and all this stuff. Uh, but other parts of the world, they pay high, high income tax. In Europe, the tax is way out there, okay? Uh, I don't want to say the percentage. I think I know, but I'm not going to give it because I'm not sure about it. But biblically, the tax, a fifth part, the Pharaoh, an antichrist, Leviathan, pay 20% to Leviathan. You know that some of that money went into, into those idol temples? Do you know that the tax that the Roman government received from the people went to support pagan temples? Here come the Christians. Well, I can't pay my tax because part of that tax goes to support pagan temples. No, God, through Paul, says pay your tax. Pay your tax. Can you imagine this? I can't pay that 20% to Pharaoh. That's Leviathan. That's the Antichrist. I can't do that. You better. Because the law came through Joseph, a man of God. God ordained it. It's good. Now, look at me. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm not Superman. I'm not, you know, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is I don't love paying taxes. And the way I'm coming across this morning, you and it would sound like that I just love paying taxes. 
You know, I love paying my property tax every year. I love paying my income tax. Love paying gas tax. Love paying, you know, tax for everything I buy at the store. I love taxes. You're funny. I don't love it. I'm obligated to do it. Now watch this. See, y'all were okay with that. Right? You okay with that? But in the theocracy of God in the Old Testament, there were other taxes that God collected. He called them tithes. Tithes. Tithe is a biblical tax. Okay? Ooh, we're going to get quiet now, ain't it? See? You think you're doing good? You bring 10% of your income to the house of the Lord. You think you're doing good? Wait till you get through with this lesson. Hallelujah. Okay, we got that income tax thing down, that property tax thing down, and that goods tax down, right? According to the word of the Lord. Well, in uh, Numbers 18, let me give you this verse. Numbers 18, 21 through 24, there is the first tithe. And a tithe simply means 10%. And again, here we go. We've got people trying to beat the system. Pastor, does that mean 10% on the net? Or does that mean 10% on the gross? <laughs> on the net? I always ask people, what do you mean on the net? <laughs> what do you mean on the net? 10% on the net? Well, if you really wanted to beat the system, God's system, then you could pay your car payment, your house payment, all your taxes, buy all your food, your clothes, are you with me here, pay your taxes, etc., and then take what was left to say, that's the net. Why do you call gross and net, why do you call the gross, uh, you know, what you get totally, and the net, what the government takes? The net that you, you have left remaining in your check, part of it went to the government, right? We call that gross. We call that net. So what I'm telling you is a portion of that money went to pay a bill. And you call it net. Went to the government, right? Well, then you could also say, well, I used my money to, to you know, pay uh, my car payment, my house payment, and all that. And, and, and if you really want to try to beat the system, what's left is about a dollar, <laughs> And then you pay your tithe on the dollar. Oh, give me a break. What you bring your tithe on is you bring your tithe on the gross. That, is a, that was a tax in the Old Testament. You bring it on the gross. Okay? Now, you can't pay it. You got to bring it because it doesn't belong to you anyway. If you keep it, you robbed God. So, this tithe, Numbers 18, 21 through 24, this, this tax, if you will, called the tithe, was for the priesthood, the priestly tribe. Okay? Amen. Supported the priestly tribe, the ministry. There was also, oh, okay, so y'all do that. Y'all do that well. You bring that tithe. You do that well here in this church, okay? Thank God for you. But then there is in Deuteronomy 12, 10 through 19, another tithe. Uh-oh, another 10%. Well, I already brought my tithe. 
for the priest. But then God said, that's not all you got to bring. You got to bring another 10%. It's a festival tithe. And this festival tithe, Deuteronomy 12, 10 through 19, was to, for sacrifices, also to support the tabernacle and the temple. So there was another tithe for the church payment. And the sacrifices at the church. Woo! Boy, why y'all looking at me like that? I know y'all are enjoying this. You're enjoying this. Hallelujah. You know? So that was, again, for what? Festival tithe. It was for sacrifice, support the tabernacle and the temple. And there was the social and the, uh, the uh, uh, cultural life that was involved in that. Okay? With me here? But that wasn't all. Malachi 3.8 says, will you rob God? And the answer is, yeah, you rob God of your tithes and your offerings. I'm just talking to you about the taxes here. I'm just talking to you about the tithes. One went for the priest. One went to support the church house and the sacrifices. Another tithe. A third tithe. <gasps> now we're up to 30%. <clears throat> <clears throat> The third tax also was a tithe. It was taken up every third year. Deuteronomy 14, 29. Okay. This third tithe presented on the third year was up. It would, over those three-year periods, then if you have a tithe, it'd be 3.3% each year. 3.3, 3.3, 3.3, bring you to 9.9 or 10%. Okay. But it, it, was, uh, it was allowed to be paid out over uh, that three-year term. So every third year, there was another tithe that was received. And it was for the stranger, the orphan, and the widows. The stranger, the orphan, and the widows. So on that third year, you had 30% of your income. Tithe going to the priest, the tithes to support the house for sacrifices. And then you had another tithe that you gave just to support the widows in the church. And the orphans and the strangers. Hmm. Woo. <laughs> Why y'all looking at me like that? But guess what? That's not all. Woo. That's not all. We got 30% of your income by the third year, 30% of your income, you know. But that's not all. Boy, God, hallelujah, you something else. Yeah, he is good. I better watch, boy, I better watch talking to God like that. Mm, forgive me. Fourth tax. Fourth, did I give you the verse on that, Deuteronomy 14, 29, for the widow, the stranger, and the orphan? Okay. Fourth tax. Annual shekel, annual half shekel. Every 20-year-old and above brought an annual half shekel. Every year they brought a half shekel. And they brought it for the support of the tabernacle and the temple. It was literally called a contribution to the Lord. You can look at that as an offering, in a sense. It wasn't a tithe. It was a half shekel. It was a contribution to the Lord. And that was for the tabernacle or the temple in the future. And that is found in Exodus 30 and verse 14. But that's not all. 
gets better all the time. There was a fifth, a fifth indirect, an indirect tax. The fifth indirect tax is Leviticus 19 verse 10. This was for the poor. It was called, hand, it was, we would call it handfuls on purpose. And, and so if you had a big field and you were harvesting the field, you were told to leave the corners. You were not to harvest the corners. And anything that sort of just laid out there that was sort of left over in the field was designated by God for the poor. So that the poor could go to the corners of your field and pick your crops lawfully. And walk into the middle of your field and get the handfuls that were left there by pur- on purpose. Gather them up and take them home. No questions asked. Okay? So that, and they call that the gleanings. Handfuls left on purpose. And then that's not all. <laughs> I love it. God's good, man. There was another indirect tax, in a sense. The seventh year, the land, it's called a sabbatical year. Every seventh year, God said to His people, you don't plow the land, you don't till the land, you don't sow the land, you don't work the land, you let it rest the whole year. And if anything does grow up in the field, you don't get to harvest it. If anything does come up on its own, you don't get it. God says that belongs to the poor. Okay? So every sabbatical year, they couldn't even work the land. And that's one reason why they were taken captive because they missed those sabbatical years. 70 years. They missed 490 years of of observing that sabbatical year. And God says, okay, you didn't want to give it to me when you were supposed to. He said, I'll take it. Because you didn't observe it, for, observe it for 490 years or 77, 70 sabbaticals. He said, I'll send you into captivity for 70 years. And I'll get back to 70 sabbaticals. God is a tremendous accountant. He's a tremendous accountant. Okay? So if you add all this up, you got a minimal of 30% plus a half shekel if you were over 20 years of age. Then the gleanings of the corners of the field and those that were left over uh, on purpose. And then you've got the sabbatical land left for a whole solid year. They couldn't work and had to rest. And anything that grew up on its own was given to the poor. Okay. Isn't that good? That's some good stuff. That is some good stuff. So what we, you know, we receive your tithe and offerings here. All right? Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, so don't buck. Don't get mad. Don't get all, you know, stingy. And, oh, don't he know I pay my 10%? <laughs> well, bless your heart. Aren't you glad you're not under the Mosaic law? You had had to bring, you know, another 10% for the house and another 10% uh, for the widows and the strangers and the orphans every third year and then half shekel on that and then... The gleanings for the poor and then sabbatical year? What you gripping about? What you gripping about? It's an honor to give to God. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you hallelujah, you know. So sometimes we get this attitude. Boy, I've really done something powerful. I get my tithe. Bless your little heart.
Come on. Now, I, and I, I can speak, I can talk like this because I, I live this. I don't just bring my tithe. I don't just bring my tithe, okay? Yeah, I'm not going to get into percentages, but, but our percentage is way on up there. It's not just a tithe. I'm talking about personally. Okay, so I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you I don't live stingy and greedy when it comes to the house of God. Just, just to give you an idea, me and my wife try to operate around 30%, okay? Give or take a few percent here and there, depending on the year, you know, whatever. We try to operate that way, all right? Hallelujah. And I say that by way of example, because I don't want your, you know, your blessing. I don't want you, uh, that honor from you. I want that from God. But I'm just telling you that I got a right to talk about this, because we live this. You wonder where, why we are where we are today? You wonder why we're blessed? I wonder why some of you are blessed. God will bless your life. And if you don't believe me, I got records to show it. Hallelujah. You know, some years may be 20, 25%. Other years may be 30 or a little bit more. Okay? So I'm not just, I'm not going to put myself in, 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 this, in this prison to you, you know, every year that I got to come up with 30. Because it's not that way. We do this out of a cheerful heart. You know, I don't try to calculate these things. I bring the tithe. That is calculable. But then the offerings, et cetera, et cetera, like that. We just, we don't do that. But at the end of the year, it comes up somewhere around that. So, you know what? I think that's good. I believe that's good because that shows you where your priorities are in life. And on top of that, then we got to pay the income tax. And we got to pay the the property tax, you know, on top of all these other things that we bring to the house of the Lord. Yeah, God's good. Where's your priority? It's going to be seen where your heart is. Right here. That's where your heart is, right here. And not here. <laughs> it's right here. And, and some of y'all, and I'm, I am blessed to pastor people that are like that. Y'all are like that. You are tremendous givers. So I just want everybody in this house to know that. The majority of you are that kind of people. You really are. All right? Praise the Lord. Okay. So is this helping anybody then today? <clears throat> all right. Let's go back to Romans 13 because I've got to try to finish this this morning. Let you out before three this afternoon. Hallelujah. How many hours in a week? Anybody ever calculate 24 hours times 7? It would be what? About 168 hours somewhere in there? Brother Timothy, I need your help, mathematician. Doctor, 168. Doc, Dr. Math in here. He, he can back me up if nothing else. Hallelujah. 168 hours. Well, what is a tithe on 168 hours? That's 17 hours. Why are you, why are you, why are you cutting short the God? Why are you cutting short? Why are you... Hallelujah, 16 hours. 168, 10% of 168 don't come up with 16. It comes up more to 17. Let me just help you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. You just helped me. Can I help y'all with something? Why don't you round it off to the nearest dollar? <laughs> you know, if you bring a tithe, you made $162. Okay? Why don't you just round it off? $16 that time. 
Because the next time you might make $168. Just round it off to $17. If you just round it off to the merest dollar, come here, help me, Dr. Matt. In the end, it'll come out, won't it? Percentages, the law of percentages, it'll come out, right, brother? So you don't always have to do that. Just round the thing off to the nearest dollar. You don't know how much that would help my wife. I believe that some of you, if you could, would cut that penny in half. <laughs> I am surprised that we don't have half pennies showing up in the offering plate. Just round it off to the nearest dollar. Hallelujah. You'll get, if you don't get it just right, if you're a little bit low this time, you'll, you'll be above next week. I know my wife would be slain in the Holy Ghost right now. The power of God would hit her right now. <laughs> Amen. Hey, come on. Some of you have a hard time averaging your own books. How would you like to average the books for all you people? And, and at the end of, of December, the first part of January, we have, we have a, an accountability meeting. We call the annual business meeting. And every penny you put in this church is accountable is, is accountable and showed to you, is showed everything where everything goes to the very penny, to the very penny, all right? We believe in records and being accountable to people. We're responsible for that too. Okay, hallelujah. So help us out there, round it off. Thanks, brother, you helped me. You rounded it the wrong direction though. <laughs> yeah, you know, y'all been to school, right? Everything above 0.5 goes over to the next highest number. Right, mathematician? Yeah, brother. All right. He's right. He taught me. See, you got, got the law right here. And if you have a problem, you don't know how to do that, go talk to the brother. He'll help you. Y'all don't understand what 10% is? Go ask him. The brother help you. <laughs> Woo! This is good. I can see some people squirming like worms, too. Well, I wish the pastor, he'd go on. Hallelujah. Well, let's do that. But let's see. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to tribute is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear. Fear. Fear to whom fear. You need to have a respect. You not only need to bring that, but you have, need to have a respect for those people who have the oversight of that. Respect them. Fear them. Come on. We shouldn't be walking around cussing and cursing, you know. The people that collect our taxes and, 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 and you know, <laughs> anyway. We should, we should respect that. And then he says, honor, to whom honor is due. That means you need to not just respect them, but you need to hold, hold them in high esteem. High esteem. You all with me? You come up to an official, you don't call him by his first name. You got to show respect to that man, that man's office. I heard Dick Cheney. I don't necessarily agree with everything, all their policy, but I heard Dick Cheney. There was a, uh, a person, a, who is that, that that gets the information and reports it? Reporter, okay. Reporter was talking to Dick Cheney. And, and uh, they, he, this reporter, addressed Dick Cheney a certain way. I believe he called him Mr. Cheney. And Dick Cheney stopped him right there. Said, it's not that. It's 
Vice President Cheney. See, I'm the Vice President. I'm not just Mr. Cheney. I'm, I'm Vice President Cheney. That's what Dick Cheney said. And President, it's President Bush, you know. Uh, so you've got to be careful when you address people, even people at your job, bosses at your job, officials, policemen, government officials, presidents, vice presidents, whatever. You need to, to respect them and address them properly. Now, I know maybe you weren't trained this way when you were little. <laughs> but, but you need to. You need to say, Mr. So-and-so, uh, if he's, you know what I'm saying. So address them with their proper titles and, and, and show that respect that's there. Oh, this is good. This, yes, that's right. Yes, sir. You know, sometimes I catch myself saying yes, sir, to people, you know, 18 years old. You know, they do business for me. I, I had somebody do business for me on my automobile. He's probably 18, 19 years old. I say, yes, sir. I say, yes, sir. That's right. And someone said, don't call me, sir. I said, I'm just used to saying that. You know, that's the way I was raised. I would say, yes, sir, no, sir, okay? And, and, and show respect and reverence. I, I catch myself at times, and I, I shouldn't do this, but an older person, an older woman, or an older man comes to me, and I'm sitting down, and they reach their hand out to shake my hand. Sometimes I catch myself wanting to continue to stay seated, like sit down, but, but there's something in me that tells me, you get up. You get up. They are older than you. You need to respect them. Okay? You stand up when you shake their hands. That's just the way I was raised. You know? This is good. I love this. Fear to whom fear is. Honor to whom honor. Right? Verse 8. Owe no man anything. Next principle. In connection to the taxes... You know, and also beyond the taxes, he says, Oh, no man, anything but to love them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can't borrow money? Are y'all ready biblically to know the answer? Are you sure? Are you sure that it's okay to borrow money? Well, be careful. You say, Oh, you know, you, you don't know, man, till, you, till I get through. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, you know. No, that doesn't mean it's when it says, Oh, no man, let me get the word here. Oh, no man anything doesn't mean that you are forbidden to borrow. Do you understand? We are not forbidding Old Testament or New Testament to borrow money. Okay? When it says, don't owe man, oh man, uh, owe no man anything, watch this. If you enter into a contract with a bank... And you're on a monthly cycle to pay them back. And it's a contractual thing. Plus interest that they charge you, etc. If you make that payment every month, you don't owe them. It is a contractual agreement between two parties. But if you let that monthly payment go in the rears. And I, can, I know these. I, I used to be a bank. Uh, I used to work in the credit union as, as a loan officer in collections and stuff so I know what I'm talking about if you go beyond 30 days then and you don't tell them you don't make arrangements with them then you owe them you have broken the contractual agreement alright but as long as you make that payment every month 
then you haven't violated this word here. Okay? Bible doesn't teach against borrowing money. It teaches you against owing people. Hallelujah. So if you can't meet that contractual agreement, then you must, by the word of God, make arrangements for that to be taken care of. Understand? So if, I can't, if you can't make your payment, don't let it just go by. Say, well, they're going to get it when they want it. You know, they're going to get it when I can get it to them. No, you've got to call them up and say, uh, Mr. Banker, Mrs. Banker, uh, you know, I sure appreciate you. I need your help this month because I'm a little bit behind and, and we've had some hard times here and I've been out of a job, etc. And uh, is there a way that we can move this payment to the end of the note and just let me pay the interest on this payment so that I'm not late with that payment? Can we make that kind of arrangement? Or, or can you uh, help me uh, uh, work this out? Because I don't want to be late with my payment. What can I do about that? And so some of them will let you accelerate the payment. Put that payment on the end of the note and you just pay the interest. So there's ways. If you'll just communicate with people, they, they will help you. They will tell you, friend. They will tell you. Don't wait. Hide the car in the underground world, you know. Got a, dug a hole 30 foot. Got your bulldozer out back. Hiding the car because they're going to. I know they're going to repossess it. Why are they going to repossess it? Because you haven't made arrangements and you owe and you violated that contract. Don't try to hide that. Dig a hole and bury it in the ground so they can't find it. Boy, they better not come get my car. I got a big old shotgun waiting for me. They do. You, you, you don't do that. You, you have to be a good citizen. Owe no man anything. And if you're going to owe them, then make arrangements. And then you won't owe them. Good, good. I told you this is good. It's just good practical citizenship. I don't want to hear about anybody got the bankers trying to locate them, trying to run them down, trying to find their car. I had a sister in church one time. She said, Pastor, she said, I'm having to hide my car because they're going to get it. They're going to repossess it. I said, don't you hide the car. Go take the keys to them. You can't pay for it. Go take the keys to them. Don't make them come and repo it because then they're going to add the repo charges on top of that. Then the detail charges because they're going to detail your car. They're going to add repo charges, add detail charges on top of that. And pretty soon you're going to be way, you're going to owe. Now watch this. They'll take your car and they'll sell your car for what they can get for it. And whatever's left that they didn't get for it, you got to pay it. And you don't have the car anymore. So if you let them add repo charges to it and detail charges to it, you're going to end up having to pay for all that. So the best thing for you to do is say, here, Mr. Banker, I can't make the payments. Sell the car, do what you can, and then I'll pay what's, what's left, what remains. Understand? So you understand, oh, and no man. Now, let me give you just a few scriptures here. Uh, it is not forbidden to borrow in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but there are guidelines for borrowing and, and interest being charged on borrowed money for the church people. Not the world. The world can charge you interest. If they want to. But Exodus twenty two twenty five. If you lent to the poor. You are not supposed to charge usury to them. You are not supposed to charge them interest. On top of the money. If it was to the poor. Okay you with me here. And this is a good principle for, the, for church wide. 
If I borrow money from you, you're not supposed to charge me interest. (laughs) If you borrow money from me, I'm not supposed to charge you interest. You're supposed to leave it just as it is. Okay, you with me here? Now, if if you enter into a contractual agreement with somebody out in the world, though, that's different. You know, I mean, do you understand what I'm trying to get to here? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let me just say this. If, if, If we sold this property out in front of us and we decided that we were going to sell this property and we're going to carry the note as a church, then we, by the word of God, could charge the person that buys the property from us, the church, interest on that money because that's what a bank would do anyway. Do you understand? But when you're talking about lending to the poor, you don't tack interest on top of that. You know, Brother Heath, will you loan me 10? Brother Heath said, yeah, brother, but I'm going to charge you 50% interest. Compound daily. Yeah, he's a good businessman. I know he is. I know it. So, but see, now I can go back to him and say, now Exodus twenty two twenty five said you can't charge the poor interest. Like I'm poor, you know. So anyway, there were certain guidelines, though. So what I'm trying to show you is that God set these guidelines about lending and interest to show you that He did not forbid it. It was a part of life, biblical life. Okay? And then also, he said, don't withhold lending because of a sabbatical year is coming, or it's near. Now, the, and that's Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 9. <clears throat> now, what a lot of, say, say if, if somebody came to you, a poor person came to you, and they said, in the Old Testament days, will you loan me some money? He said, okay, I should loan it to you. Uh, you'll, you'll pay me back. But we're fixing to move into the seventh year, the sabbatical. And if I loan you this money in the sixth year, and the sabbatical year comes, guess what? All debts are canceled, and you won't have to pay me. So they say, so God says, don't do that. Don't say, okay, the sabbatical is fixing to come, and refuse to lend to the poor, knowing that it's fixing to be canceled. See, people always trying to beat the system. All time. Even God. See, God had to step in there and tell them everything. They're always trying to beat the system. I'll loan it to you on the first year, but the sixth year, you can forget it. Because the seventh year, man, it'll be wiped out anyway. It'll be debt free. You know, I won't, you won't owe me. Okay. In uh, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus, the talents, the parable of the talents. He basically commends somebody who makes wise investments. He said, you should have taken that talent and put it in the bank. And at my coming, I would have received that plus interest. So God is not against interest. But there are certain guidelines that you have to observe in the area of interest. And that's concerning the poor in your brother and sister in your family. Do you understand? The family of God. But he commends wise investment. He said, it's okay to invest your money and to collect interest on top of that money. That's wise So again, we're not talking about uh, the Word of God saying that we can't borrow. Hallelujah. (laughs) You know, some people say, well, I'm in debt. Are you in debt? You know when you become in debt? When you become in debt is when what you're paying for is not worth what you owe. All right? Car is a depreciating item. There's certain things you can buy that is an appreciating item. You're not in debt. That's an investment. 
You know what I'm saying? You buy a house for $50,000 and you borrow the money from the bank and you're paying interest uh, uh, on that money to the bank for that. You bought a $50,000 house. If you could sell that thing in a year for $100,000, see, that's not debt. That's good business. Okay, so anyway, I, I don't know if you understand a lot of this stuff, but <clears throat> there are certain things, certain, you can make wise decisions in borrowing money. Borrow money to buy land. You know it's going to appreciate in a couple of years. That's smart. That doesn't violate the word of the Lord. That's a good decision. Yeah. Right? You hear me? Now, but the point is, oh, no, man, nothing. You're meeting your contractual agreements. You don't owe them. Be careful about depreciating items. Not, mm-hmm. Come on. Hallelujah, I know. <laughs> now, some of y'all are saying, well, well, Pastor, what do I do now? I know there are certain things, certain people that I owe. What do I do? Make some calls. This message today isn't to condemn you. This message is to help you. Make some calls. You can take care of that just like that. You can move from a place of owing somebody to a place of not owing anybody by making a call. Okay? Well, I can't get, bring you the money, but I'll, I'll serve prison time. <laughs> So all you got to do is to say, hey, pastor, I'm going to be serving a little prison time. What for? Well, I owe some people, and I don't have the money to pay them, so I'll, I'll, I'll be in prison. I'll say, okay, well, let's start a prison ministry. You hear what I'm saying? All right. So this is not to beat you up. This is to help you understand. But there's one debt that we all owe continually. We never pay it off, and that is the debt of love. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I, listen, you know, Brother Jonathan, his, his account's running low with me. I mean, I love him, and I love him, and I love him. And, and I mean, and sometimes that love goes down like this, and then he makes another deposit. And it almost runs out, and he makes another deposit, you know. No, my point is this. You, you're always in debt to love each other. You, you never pay that debt. Brother, you have to love me whether you like it or not. <laughs> Hallelujah. All, these say, all you saints, I got, you got to get you in the word of God here. You have to love me. You don't have a choice. You have a debt. You are responsible to love your pastor. Hallelujah. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll apply it to you. No, it's a law that all of us will never pay. We have a, a debt to love it. And not only just the brothers and sisters in the church, but God tells us to love those that persecute you. Love your enemies. So I have a debt to love my enemies, man. You know, hey, it's easy to love somebody that loves you. But it's hard to love somebody that, that hates you. Love your enemies. It's a debt that you'll never pay. It's good, isn't it? Good, isn't it? Want to be a good citizen. Want to be a good citizen in the government, good citizen in the tax realm, good citizen in my, my borrowing and repaying in the world, the banks and all this stuff. I want to be a good citizen. Okay? How about you? Yeah, yeah. This, you know, I told you, I, I just couldn't wait to teach this this morning. Just good, solid, practical awesome word of God.
right where we live. Anybody hiding their car? Not yet? Okay. Let me ask you this. Is this helping any of you? Yeah. I had two. Thank, I appreciate the two or three that amen that. Yeah. Verse 9. For this thou shalt not. Now, he goes on. So in order to love somebody, and I've got to quickly finish this. But if, in order for me to love you like I should love you and you to love me like you should love me and for me to love our enemies the way we should love means there are certain things that we cannot do and love them. And here's what Paul says. Okay? He says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery. You cannot love your neighbor, love your brother, your sister, or love people if you're committing adultery. With their wives or their husbands. Adultery is not love. See there are a lot of people who say. Well I just love them. If it's adultery. If, if it's not in the confines of marriage. That. Listen to me. That is not love. To have a sexual relationship outside of marriage. Let me say it again. I don't know, we're just in this age, in this time now, people don't get this. If you're not married, you don't go to bed with each other. Period. But you say, well, I just love him, pastor. I just love her, pastor. I just love him, pastor. No, you don't. Because true love, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is not love, it's sexual lust. That's all it is. Is sexual lust. Period. So you can't love that person you're committing adultery with or against. It's impossible because it's sexual lust. Not love. You understand? What I got to do? What I got to do? I got to get a big sign? Walk around with a big sign? Premarital sex is against the law, against the word of God. Do you understand these things? Now, okay. On the other hand, if you've done that, you need to say, God, forgive me. I, I repent of that. Now I know, now I know, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. Come on. And <clears throat> ew, why am I getting into this? Uh, I got a few more minutes. Can I tell you something? I'll just tell everybody. Because I don't know where you are. But i just tell you this. If for him to walk up to you, if you're a young woman or an old woman or a middle-aged woman, whatever you claim, claim to be. For him to walk up to you and you're not married to him. And he says, I just love you. Oh, I just love you. Oh, I just cannot touch you. I just love you. Can't keep my hands off you. I just love you. You know what? <laughs> he doesn't love you. Because I'm going to tell you what. If he really loves you, he won't touch you. He won't touch you if he really loves you. Are you with me here? You're going to say, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't do this to you. I respect you. I love you. I'm going to keep you. I, I want you to be pure. I want you to be holy. You belong to God. So don't fall for that I love you thing. And women, they just love to hear that. 
You love me. Oh, go ahead. You know, just, woo. I mean, you know, they don't even have to prove it to you. All they got to do is just say it. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's not love. It's sexual lust. You need to keep it within the confines of marriage. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And for the men, you got to be careful because, uh, you know, that person you're working around, your wife's at home or maybe she's working, I don't know, and that person, that young girl or that middle-aged woman or that older-aged woman, whatever, she starts getting an eye for you, you know, and uh, she starts dressing provocatively and she starts saying, ooh, you're something. See, she don't say, I love you. She says, you are something else. You are one hulk of a man. Your, your wife, she just doesn't know what she has. Man, if I was in her shoes, I would treat you like a god. <laughs> and that man starts looking at his wife. You're strange. Why don't you act like the one, the lady I work with, man? You know, she's showing me things and she's talking to me and telling me about how wonderful I am. She's making a God out of me, you know. <laughs> Until she gets married to you. <laughs> so, so you understand what I'm saying is that, that, uh, that he says, I love to you so he can get what he wants. And then she'll, she'll make a God out of him to get him for what she wants. You understand? And there's nothing about love in the whole thing. It's a sexual lust. Marriage, out, uh, sex outside of marriage, period. For you to continue in that will send you to hell. You've got to take care of that. You need to take care of these things. Okay? Love each other. Now, praise the Lord. If you love each other, if he loves you, he'll commit to you. Okay, you with me? And a woman has to have a commitment. If he loves you, he'll commit to you. If she loves you, she'll commit to you. You don't think she loves you? Wash your clothes, cook for you, take care of your kids, do all that. That is her love. Man, she's demonstrating her love for you. You understand? Anyway, I'm trying everything I can. I'm trying to throw everything out there. I'm trying to throw all the dishwater, the baby, the sink, everything. Everything I can find. To try to keep y'all out of somebody else's bed. I had a Pentecostal pastor. I was a youth minister under him, and, and uh, I was talking about various things that were going on in the youth ministry. And he said, you know what? He said, you know what I'm trying to do? He said, what I'm working at right now? And as a youth pastor, I, man, I didn't, you know, I'm out of touch with a lot of that stuff. But he said, right now, I'm just trying to keep people out of, out of each other's beds. In the church. In the church. He said, I'm just trying to keep people from committing adultery in here. It's, it's, it's heavy, man. I mean, it's heavy. There, there's no, no stronger desire in you than that desire other than God, His Spirit. That is the strongest desire that you have. 
And that is one you can fall very easily into. All right? So, love. Do you understand love now? <laughs> love. Love will preserve. Love will protect. Love, love will try to keep you pure and holy and right with God. Anything else is not love. It's sexual lust. It can be male or female, either side. <laughs> yeah. You know, used to, used to, I used to always think about it on the male side. You know, the male has that problem, right? And I tell my wife, I say, women, you know, you'll see something going on. I say, women don't act like that. They don't act like that. You see something on TV or something, they don't act like that. You understand what I'm saying? They don't go, ooh, and ah, and all of, you know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. I mean, to their husband, maybe to the guy they're not married to. I said, they don't act like that. That's, a, that's just a bunch. It's a facade. It's an act. Now, that doesn't mean I'm watching pornography. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, now let me go on here. So anyway, do you all understand love now? So next time he tells you I love you or she tells you I love you to get there in that situation, you'll know the difference. All right. You should already know the difference. You should be smarter than that. You don't think, why can't I get off of this? Okay, let me, let me go on. Here we go. The Bible says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is for And this, where am I? Hmm. For thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. You love somebody, you're not going to murder them. Do you understand? You don't have to walk around and say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. If you walk in love, you won't commit adultery. If you're walking in love, you won't murder somebody. That's how, the lo that's how <clears throat> love fulfills the law. Because if you love, you won't commit adultery. If you love, you won't murder somebody. The Ten Commandments are really God's love. Okay. Uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Lie. You love somebody, you're not going to lie about them. I just love you, Pastor. <laughs> you don't know the definition of love. <laughs> I hear you in my sleep. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. See? Covet. You can't love somebody if you're always coveting everything they got. Covet their car, covet their wife, covet their house, covet their clothes. Always coveting all the time is to not walk in love. To walk in love is to be thankful for what God has done for them. Not to covet what they have. Thou shalt not covet. What, well, let us just step it into another line here. To covet means... That not only do you not commit adultery, not only do you not kill, not only do you not steal, you can't steal from somebody you love. Not only do you not bear false witness against somebody, not only do you not covet. These things, not only do you not do the acts, but you don't even, to covet means you want to do them. Want to commit adultery, want to kill, want to steal. 
want what they got. If you want it, that's coveting. You understand? Paul said he kept the whole law except for one. Thou shalt not covet. He said it killed him. Because he could never say, I didn't want to kill. He could never say, I didn't want to steal. He could never say, I didn't want to commit adultery. He could never say, I didn't want to covet. Have you ever wanted to? If that ever gets a hold of us, then we're not walking in love. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is your neighbor? It's whoever you get acquainted with. Whatever acquaintance you, you make, that's your neighbor. You with me here? Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. You're not staying up all night thinking how you're going to get to the next door neighbor. How you going to egg his car and put sugar in the gas tank and, you know, chop that limb off that's hanging over on your side of the property line. Just chop it off when he's not looking. Yeah, come on. You can't try to, you can't be throwing rocks at his dogs and his cats. Murdering them, killing them, poisoning them and loving them. The same time. You with me? Yeah, you understand this stuff, right? All right. Love working no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You just walk in love, you'll keep the commandments of God. To God and to your neighbor. With me? All right, let me close. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time. This is, he's showing you the way to serve time. The way to serve God in time. The way to relate to unbelieving government society. The way to handle taxation. The way to handle your bills. Okay? And the way to love one another. And then he talks about, and that knowing the time. And the word time is not chronos. It is not chronological time. It is an epoch. It is an age. It is a season. He says, you're not, you're, you don't know the chronological sequence, but you know the age, you know the season, you know the epoch. All right? Very important. You with me? The signs of the times. The signs of the age, the signs of the epoch, the signs of the season. Not chronological time, it's an age. So he says, and that knowing the time or the season or the epoch or the age, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Okay? He's telling us we're in a season, we're in an age that is leading up to the perusia of Jesus or his second coming. Okay, you with me? And these ungodly societies will be judged. At the day of the Lord coming of Jesus. In the meantime, submit to the government. Subject to the government. Pay your taxes. Be a good citizen. Pay your bills. Love each other. Even your enemies. In this dark time leading up to his parousia or his second coming. This is the way you are to live as good citizens, as Christians in this earth. And that knowing the time. 
knowing the season, knowing the epoch, it is high time to awake out of sleep. He says, wake up. Wake up. He, and he's not talking about physical sleep. He's talking about spiritual sleep. He says, wake up. When you're asleep, what does it mean to be asleep? Look up the, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, or a good encyclopedia, and read what sleep means. It means to be unconscious. It means that your response is slowed down to things around you. You're, you with me here? Unconscious. You're not responding to things around you. You understand? A lack of activity. And when he says here, he says, and that knowing the time that now is a high time to wake out of sleep, he's saying, you know what? Don't be people who are inactive. Don't be people who are asleep spiritually. Who are not responding to the things of God. Jesus. They're not active. You're not conscious. Conscious. You are unconscious if you're asleep. You are unconscious about what's going on around you. You are inactive concerning the things of God. You're not responding when you should be responding. In the light of the coming of Jesus. Wake up. Be active. Be conscious. Be alert. Respond. Don't get in a stupor. There are people sitting in church pews. They're asleep in the spirit. They don't understand the significance of the coming of the Lord. And what that means. That we should be active. And, and we, we should be responding to God. And we should be conscious of things that are going on around us. We should not be lethargic. Lethargy can't get a hold of us. A stupor can't get a hold of us. You got to wake up, he says. Are y'all awake with me now? For now is our salvation nearer than we believe. He's not telling them that they're lost and they're going to be saved. They're already saved in the present time. But in the Bible, there's past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. And when he says, now is our salvation nearer than when we believe, he's talking about complete salvation. He said, it's a lot closer to the coming of the Lord and your glorification is a lot closer than you realize. You understand? He said, you can't be asleep right now. He's going to come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. You need to wake up. You need to get active. You need to get responsible. Get out of that stupor. Your salvation. Church, your salvation is nearer than when you believe. The day of the Lord is a lot closer than you realize. His second coming to the earth post-tribulationally. We haven't entered into the tribulation period, but it's a lot closer than we realize. If Paul could say, if he could make that ironclad statement that now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. If Paul could say that almost 2,000 years ago, how close are we right now? If what he said to this church in Rome almost 2,000 years ago is significant, how significant is it for you, my friend, sitting on the pew? How awake should we be? How responsible, how active, how conscious concerning the things of the kingdom of God should we be? You understand? 
The night is far spent. The night, when he talks about the night, he's talking about this, this present age of unbelieving, sinful mankind. It's far spent. There's coming a time, the day of the Lord. He's going to deal with that. He's going to remove the night season. He's going to get rid of the sin and the unbelief and false government systems. But at this point, submit to them. Do you understand? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The day of the Lord. The day of His parousia. The day of His coming post-tribulationally when He takes the church out and destroys the Antichrist at that same coming, at that same time. He said, you need to realize that you are in the epoch, the age, the season that is leading up to the coming of the Lord. He said, and because of that, He said, you need to wake up. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. But today, the church world and the world as a whole walking around in zombies. They got a hollow look in their eyes. They, have, they don't have a clue. God is saying, you better get a clue, my friend. You, you don't just need a clue. You need a revelation. It's close. It's close. This night season is fixing to pass away. Let, let us therefore cast off. He said, throw it off like a garment. Take off like a garment the works of darkness. Get rid of it. Take it off. Let me give you the symbolism behind this. The symbolism is this. It's a soldier waking up in the morning. Listen. After a long night of partying. This soldier's been partying down all night. He's been drinking all night. He's been involved in fornication and, and adultery all night. He's wearing his armor of darkness. He gets up in the morning and his captain or his general runs to that soldier. Says, wake up. Get rid of these clothes. Get rid of this armor of darkness get rid of that sin get rid of that come on adultery get rid of that drunkenness get rid of it throw it off like a garment and then he says this you cast off that that works of darkness soldier and let us put on the armor of light get rid of the sin that does so easily beset you Throw it off like a garment. But he says, put on the armor of light. And I don't have time, but in Jewish scholarship, they give you ten different passages of Scripture that show you God putting on certain things like a garment. When he says, put on the armor of light, he's telling you, do what God does. In the Jewish mindset, they would say this, put on the Shekinah. Put on the glory of God. But before you put on the glory of God, the armor of light, you've got to get rid of that sin out of your life. You've got to get rid of that darkness out of, you, out of your life. Be clothed with God. Be clothed with His glory. Be clothed with righteousness. Be clothed with holiness. Be clothed with obedience to God. Stop walking in a stupor 
Wake up from the sleep. You're not active in this battle, soldier. You've been overcome by the world. You've been overcome by sin and darkness. Wake up. Throw off that. Put on the armor. Put on the Shekinah glory of God. Put on righteousness. Put on holiness. Put on obedience. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that knowing the time, now it is high time for us to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. It's time to wake up. It's time to cast off. It's time to put on. Because the day of the Lord is at hand. Everything's not going to continue as it is. Put on the armor of light. Put on the, put on the armor of righteousness, holiness, God put on the, the spiritual armor of Ephesians 6. The helmet of salvation. All, that, that, all of the armor that talks about Ephesians 6. Put that on. Get ready to fight. The spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle. He said you need to understand. If you're not fighting, you're asleep. Have you been overcome by the darkness of this world? He said, throw it off. Put on God. Put on the armor of light. Watch this. Let us walk honestly as in the day. In the day. Come on. Not rioting. What is rioting? <clears throat> Carousing is another good word. Rioting. Say rioting. In connection to the military, this word was, was a term that was used of a military man who got caught up in partying. Friend, there's more to life than a party. There's more to life than, than ease and comfort. There's more, more to life than getting what you want. There's more to life than just having a good time. Especially as a Christian. Rioting is a, a party in life. A life just given to partying. You know, with me? Party time, party time. Associated with drunkenness. These two always go together, this... This party time, drunkenness. Y'all know what drunkenness? It's self-inflicted intoxication. But don't get caught up in the party in life and, and the drunkenness, the intoxication, not in chambering. Chambering. Chambering, the word means a bed or a bedroom. You know, you've heard of a chamber? Not in chambering, bed or bedroom. He says, you shouldn't be like the rest of the world, sleeping, going from one bed to another bed. You ever heard the term, let's go to bed together? That's what he's talking about here. He says, you don't need to be going to bed together all the time. All the time, not any time if it's not somebody you're married to. You're not married to. He's talking to the church. It's in the church. People going from one bedroom to another bedroom. Gratifying their sexual promiscuity. That's what this is. Chambering is sexual promiscuity. And then he says, uh, not in chambering. And we've already covered that a little bit. And wantonness. <clears throat> Say wantonness. Sensuality. Sexual promiscuity is the chambering. Wantonness is sensual. Being sensual. It's, it's, a, it's a life of, you live an unrestrained life. An unrestrained life. It's a life that is not even uh, sh shamed 
by its actions. A person can do it and they're not even ashamed of it. The prophets talked about a time when people would not even blush at sin. They could do sin and not even blush. Unashamed in their sin. Unrepentant. Unashamed sin. Unrestrained, unashamed sin. That's wantonness. That's sensuality. We're living in a time right now. Come on. People, not only are they in this sin, but they are bragging about sin. They brag about the sexual promiscuity. They, they brag about, uh, you know, man will brag about all the women he sleeps with. And the woman will talk about her flings and all that. And they're, they're not, come on, they not only do it, but they're proud of it. They wear it like a badge of honor. That is wantonness. You with me? And we live in that age right now. We can't let it creep into the church. The spirit of that age can't let it get in here. Come on, y'all with me? How many know what I'm talking about? There are certain things that people did, they did in secret, they did in the closet. Now they come out of the closet with it and they boast about it. But that, that's the world. But what about if it happens in the church? And it's found out. Do we brag about it? Do we boast about it? Or are we ashamed about it? Do we blush? Okay? Come on. He's telling us, and not in strife. Next one, strife. Strife. Selfish ambition. Strife. <laughs> help me here. Help me, help me, help me. I'm almost done. Don't quit on me yet. Strife. The strife that gets in the house. This bickering among us. Strife. Selfish ambition. But more than that, the Greek word means to bicker. To always be fussing and fighting over petty, stupid little things is to be a person in strife. Paul said we shouldn't be bickering all the time, fighting over little things all the time. Come on, let's be Christians. Be Christians. Thank you, God. Strife. Yes, this is good. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bickering, fussing, fighting, selfish ambition. It also means placement and power. It means that you want place. You want position. So you, 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 you're in strife because you want your position. You want your authority or your rights. That's a good one. That is strife. You understand? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My rights end when somebody, my, my rights end where somebody else's begin. Do you hear what I said? Your rights end where somebody else's begins. If I infringe on somebody else's rights, I've crossed the line. I'm in strife. Do you know that's where the, the strife and envy, the last two that he talks about, that's where the party spirit comes in to the church? The party spirit? And I'm not talking about, whoo, 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 you know, the little things that you blow. <laughs> and the cakes and all. I'm not talking about that. Party spirit is a biblical term. What it means is this, is that it gets in the church and this sister, she didn't have her way. 
So she goes over here and she in the ear. And pretty soon we got a sect here. We got a, we got a group here. We got a, a group there. You know, we got a group here in the church. And we got a group in this. We've got these pockets. We've got this party spirit. Because it didn't get its way. It goes around the church and it gossips and it divides the house. Understand? Party spirit. That's undermining spirit. Okay? Envying. Envy. Say envy. Or jealousy. It's resenting the advantage of somebody else. You see somebody else blessed. You see somebody else have, get a promotion or get an advantage. And, and you resent that. That's envy. Jealousy. Do you understand? These things uh, are unbecoming of a Christian. We, we shouldn't be walking in this kind of activity. And in closing, he says, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He said, Put Jesus on like a garment. The armor of light to fight the spiritual battle. Understand you're a soldier. Understand your times. Issachar understood the times that they lived in. They could give Israel an answer. That means epoch, age. They understood the season they were in. You're in a season right now. You're surrounded by darkness. Tells you how to live in this present world. Understanding that the Lord is fixing to come back. And He's going to set everything right. If you're persecuted, He's going to set it all right. He's going to end the sin. He's going to end the unbelief at the day of the Lord. He said, understanding that time, put on the garments of a soldier of light. He said, take off the garments of darkness. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. That's the way the Jews looked at it. Look like when you put on God, when you put on God, you know what that literally means is? You're saying, I am a Christian. I serve him. I belong to him. More than a pastor, more than being a pastor, more than being a soul winner, I want to be a Christian. You understand? I want to be a Christian. I want to put on Jesus Christ so that when people look at my life, they say, you know what? That man's a Christian. They say, that man's a pastor. Okay, you said one thing. Or that person's a soul winner. You said one thing. But when somebody looks at you and says, you know what? You're a Christian. I can tell you're a Christian. And you didn't even open your mouth. How did they know you were a Christian if you never walked up to them and said, I'm a Christian? See, we got people all the time saying, I'm a Christian, you know. But can they tell you're a Christian by the way you live as citizens? The way you respond? To government and to authority and the way you pay your taxes and the way you pay your bills and, and the way you live your life holy and pure and set apart unto God. Can they tell? Can they tell you're a Christian? Can they look at you on the outside and say, you know what? You're a Christian. I can tell you live holy. You dress holy. Hallelujah. And nobody, you didn't tell them anything. You know what? If that ever happens to you, you have honored God beyond measure. You've honored Jesus. You have put him on, and everybody says, you're a Christian lady. 
You're a Christian man. Listen, now don't misunderstand me here, but the word Christian means a follower of Christ, but it also can be translated little Christ. I'm not telling you you become Christ, but I'm telling you you can become Christians, little Christ. Everybody that looks at you, they know what you believe. Everything you do. See, we're being watched. We're being watched. That's it. And in closing, I, I just want to share with you, we should not be people who are always trying to beat the system. You don't have to be. Praise God. So how many Christians do I have out there this morning? Got one or two, three or four? Christians? That's good. That's, that's what it's all about. Giving God glory and honor. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Father, we just come before you today. And I just, I just thank you, Lord, for this awesome word. God, help us as the church of the living God to be Christians, God, to apply what we have heard today. That all the teaching that is in your word, we would, we would practice it. That we would awake right now, Lord, from our slumber and our sleep. And understand the, the season that we're in leading up to the coming of the Lord. That we need to take off the works of darkness and be clothed with the armor of light. Be true soldiers. It's time to fight. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't make provision for the flesh. We don't plan, provise. We don't plan. We don't think ahead of a way to do evil. We're not looking for a way out of truth or holiness or obligation or responsibility. Father, help us to be faithful. In this world, people, when they, they look at us in our business transactions, God, if our business transactions would glorify you. The way we handle ourselves at the, at the job, the way we respect authority, Lord Jesus, that we would glorify you. For this is the will of God. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to teach your people today, not that I have arrived by any means, but I seek, Lord, to be conformed into your image, the image that the Word of God presents to us that we should be. And I pray with your people today that, that I and my family would glorify you and honor you with the decisions of our lives, not just in the church world, but in the social world, in the world of the governments, the kingdoms of governments, the kingdoms of economics, the kingdoms of politics, the kingdoms, whatever kingdom it might be, that I would glorify you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. We will see you tonight. Uh, pray for me. I just ask you to pray for me because I have a word from God for you. I don't say that lightly. I have a word from God for you tonight. You need, you need to be here tonight to hear this word. Okay? Praise God. Love you. You're dismissed. We'll see you.